Welcome back to the Everybody Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Reno. We kick off 2024 with a return appearance from FC United's Stan Anderson, who's also the founder and owner of Camp Shutout, the world's largest goalkeeper camp, again, in the world. We discuss a bit of a lead-up to the 2024 edition of his Camp Shutout, as well as the secretive news for the 2025 edition, uh, so stick around for that. But before we get there and check the timestamps to see where this all kind of starts and stops, uh, we cover a few topics within the U.S. scene. We start off comparing U.S. men's national team goalkeeping standards from now versus 20 years ago. Where were we? Where are we now? How do those compare? How are our goalkeepers specifically, Zach Steffen, Matt Turner, and Ethan Horvath, performing overseas? What is going right and wrong? A lot of discussion on this, and honestly could have gone a lot longer on it. Um, but from there, we jumped to the U.S. Open Cup debacle, where MLS attempted to pull out their, their first teams out of the most prestigious tournament in North America, we look at the micro level and how the Open Cup helps goalkeepers in both MLS and lower leagues, as well as the macro level and how the Open Cup and MLS operate and should be operating together. There's a bit of a detour in here with how the Federation and MLS and soccer as a whole interact in our country and, again, should be interacting in our country. Uh, one or two of us maybe get a little hot under the collar, but uh, once we get to that, uh, we finish with the NWSL draft and how young goalkeepers get drafted only to most likely set the bench for a year or two. Is this healthy for goalkeeper development, or are there better ways to grow our young goalkeepers? And why should they be sitting? Why should they not be sitting? A little bit of discussion on that. You can find Stan and I both on Instagram and Twitter. You can search Camp Shutout for Stan. You can search Everybody Soccer for me. You can find us on there for any feedback you may have from this episode, general questions on goalkeeping, or to just see what content is coming out from our platforms. But it's a good talk. It's good to be back with Stan, and I'm uh, excited for 2024 and see what else I'll we got in store. But I did have... A question for you that's not related to anything that we're really going to be talking about, but it's just been something that's stuck in my head, and I think it has something to do with like the life stage I'm entering. Where, um, you know, I got engaged a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I, I I was I was pretty quiet. I didn't post anything about it, so I say you know. But I I got engaged, and I'm you know we've kind of had you know conversations about like wedding, having kids, family stuff um not that we haven't had those before but more seriously now but i was thinking on your end because one i think it was my first summer at camp shutout where you and tony 1v1 and like a individual keeper uh, yeah. and i i remember thinking like at some point obviously tony's going to eclipse you and you know just that, that's like the natural progression with everything but i was just trying to think for myself of like man how am i going to handle that so i didn't know if you had any tips or advice on like having your sons eclipse you athletically because obviously you were an accomplished athlete um but i don't know if you had any thoughts on any of that oh uh i'm uh i'm happy for him that he did i'm actually happy that he listened to me throughout most of his career um surprisingly because i know there's parents that don't have that but physically i i didn't know he was going to become six one or whatever he is um but i knew the technical skill was there and it was just a matter of time that he's 200 pounds less than me that he was going to kick my ass and um ultimately he did yeah he did and i guess he i guess you saw it coming or i mean oh yeah yeah oh yeah (laughs) you you also he also kicked kicked my ass in a hotel room once within the past maybe year where I always used to throw them around yeah. and I could take both of them at one time. Yeah. And then Tony got me locked up and I had to tap and uh, I realized, okay, those days of me 
yeah. me messing around have have gotten away now. Yeah, yeah. Wait, how did trajectory's you... up. I'm on the down. I'm on the downswing. Wait, ego wise, where I mean, were you prepared for those moments, or did it like? Oh work? yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, otherwise, you know, I'm I'm going to be trying to chase Father Time, and he's undefeated, and um, so there's no no sense in me thinking, yeah, I'm going to end up being some sort of this or that. It's just ain't going to work. So uh, it was it was fine. Yeah. It was fine, yeah. and it is fine. Yeah. So yeah. tank, I might still have in a wrestling match, but soccer, tennis, or anything else. If he yeah. were to take shots from outside the eighteen, he's yeah. got me. He's got me beat. Yeah, you may have to bump him back to like the thirty or so, and then <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Then I then I can uh, then I can move. I'm trying to bring up this um, my my page. <clears throat> of email um so i can well, you, you do that i'll lead you in here so uh but yeah. so this will parallel what we talk about kind of egos and the rise and falls and so obviously the last week or so there's been a lot of buzz about zach Steffen returning to mls and i think even before that you know matt turner obviously had you know he's had a tumultuous time so far at forest and i think when I look back 20 years ago, I think if you had said to a fan, you know, what do you think about a goalkeeper starting for the men's national team that's playing in MLS? I think they would be supportive of them getting caps here and there. But I think sure. there was a standard of like, well, no, like they've got to be playing at, you know, the highest level. They got to be playing in England. And it, and some of that was a bit, you know, cyclical because you go back to the early 90s that we didn't have that standard, right? And so when we started developing good goalkeepers and started playing at the highest level, we then adopted the standard of like, okay, that's where we need to be. And it's interesting for me to see how quickly we adopted that standard of saying yeah. we're, you know, a goalkeeping nation, like we, you know, that's the one position we'll, we'll develop in. <clears throat> uh, but now we're at a point where it's like, well, we, we don't really, you know, we don't really need to be playing in England and I think for Stefan, a lot of people have said it's good for him to be getting games back in MLS. So I guess I'm curious uh, from your perspective, you know, what has changed from 20 years ago when the standard was must be playing in England versus now where it's like, well, we don't we don't really need to. It's kind of more about just finding the best individual spot for, for the individuals. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, England isn't the validator for me. Um, so that's that's that um, I. You know, do I enjoy uh, English football and the EPL? Sure, um, but it's not the it's not the validator for me. <clears throat> I thought that Turner was the better goalkeeper prior to um, Stefan, and we could go through our podcasts um, prior to the the selection for the World Cup. And he was coming out of you know Fairfield and the Revolution, and you know that's where he was. Um, in Friedel, I trust at that at that point. You know, we also don't have a Doctor Moshnik like we had back in the Miola and Keller and what have you days. Someone that you know immense trust in from the coaching side. The athlete has to do it, and Keller did it, and Friedel did it, and Vanoli did it, and you know we could go on. Tim Howard obviously did it. Tim Howard didn't have Doctor Moshnik. Maybe a little bit of Militon Suskich. I don't know. You know who all he had. Um, 
and, and obviously he had his his people uh back in the day in Jersey uh, that really helped him a ton. So um, Mulqueen is who I mean, but we don't have somebody like that, you know, right now on the men's side, we have it. It's, it's treated how the national team position is treated. It's not like, you know, we're getting our best one in and, and running with that person. And, you know, it's, it's more like staff by committee, and then we just roster the position kind of by committee. I just saw Calendar and uh, Celentano, sorry, and Schulte. Good selections. Um, January roster, you know, it is what it is. I, I just don't think that the EPL is the 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 proving ground. You know, I it's no disrespect to it, but it's not the end-all be-all for me. Um, it's not like if you can make it there, you can make it here. You know, look, Stefan went over there. I thought it was a very average goalkeeper. And, you know, it didn't work out. But he was average before he went. City didn't break him. Um, I don't know if anyone made him. You know, he's good. I coached against him. He's legit. But he's also, other people are much better in, in, in this country. Um, you know, including, and again, we could reference back to Clips on Earth, Steve Clark, among others, that I think just, as the guy in, in goal are, are just better. How does that parlay into why today versus decades ago? I wish I knew. I don't, I'm not as critical of the position that others are. I think that we have very good people playing the position. We got better opportunities to play here in this country. It's a good league in our country. It's only on the upside on the uptick in our country. You can you can pick a world class goalkeeper out of our league, and he doesn't have to go to play at Tottenham or Chelsea or City or United to be anointed. I don't know if that helps. No, I I think that's fair. I mean, well, first of all, obviously it's two really different time periods, right? Where where the game was twenty years ago, you know, I that that's just not how goalkeepers play anymore. I mean, like right, from right. the gap from twenty years ago to now is bigger than the gap from 20 years to like 60 years ago. Like it's, it's really has just evolved. Um, So I understand like that's a bit of a, maybe a little false flag to kind of compare the two. I will say, I think my concern is that I don't think the current structure is preparing our goalkeepers to go make that jump. And, you know, you can talk about best leagues in the world or what's the most demanding or what's the, the proving ground or whatever. Like everyone's going to have different opinions about that. But I think it's concerning for me that we've sent um, a few goalkeepers overseas now and they're returning, they're struggling, they're not performing well. Um, and it's kind of, it should be kind of league independent in some sense and you know some countries are going to lean certain ways but if we're going to really go develop and hold up the standard of saying hey we're we're the country that develops goalkeepers we should be able to pick up our goalkeepers and drop them in another league and they should be able to perform i think yeah. you're, it's fair to say and you have been very I'll, I'll give you credit you've been very consistent on your review of stefan i think it's hard for people to know the gradients of good to great to elite to best of all time you know like that's tough for people to really understand admittedly he's a good goalkeeper but like you said i think very succinctly there's a lot of goalkeepers better than him but that's kind of where he yeah. got, got stuck into so i think when i see 
Stefan and Turner's game, there's a bit of there's there's holes there. Like they they want to sit on the line. They want to play like goalkeepers did about 10, 15 years ago, where they could just kind of sit back. They don't want to cover the through ball. They neither are great on crossing. I think shot stopping, if you let them do that thing, they do it well, especially Turner. His his, his saves, uh expected saves are, are through the roof typically. But as we've seen at Forest playing out of the back and same for Stefan as well, oh, yeah. they, they've struggled a bit. So I guess I'm curious on it. They're two very different goalkeepers, but what went wrong for those goalkeepers in England specifically, where it's a league that has a bit of a rep for how it plays, how the, how, where do those goalkeeper keepers struggle and why didn't they succeed in your eyes? Well, we don't know what's being asked of them. And look, I'll take the criticism from you. It's not of me. I mean, I'll listen to the criticism from someone like yourself that's immersed. I won't listen to it from somebody who hasn't worn the gloves, who just bitches, pisses, and moans. And um, whether that be fans or in some case some coaches that, you know, just rip the goalkeeper for this or that. Look, mistakes are going to be made. They're going to be made in the middle of the park. They're going to be made in the attacking third. They're going to be made in the back. Obviously, in the back, they're higher profile, and they can't happen as much. We all get it, okay? Um, but, you know, it, it's easier to hear that from Tim Howard than it is from Thierry Henry, okay? Uh, so when when if someone else is, is complaining about about the, the goalkeepers performing this or that function or the comfortable save bullshit and things like that, yeah, meh, that's it, in one year out the other. We don't know what's being asked of Turner. We don't know what's being asked of Stefan. What we do know is, you know, what they're executing in certain moments at times hasn't been good enough. And why is that different today than it was 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago? When you're looking at the Kellers, Friedels, Vinolis, Howards, you know, we could we could go on with a, with a bunch of them in the lineage. Um, you know, I, I don't know that that I think Matt's feet are going to be better in four years than they were four years ago. I still think there's time for Matt Turner. Um, I would hope that they're going to be better for Zach Steffen than they were four years ago. But here's, here's where I, I, I pause a little bit is we were all told Zach Steffen's feet were fantastic. And I've found that Zach Steffen's feet. Look, I have nothing against Zach Steffen. There are people I have things against, all right, in the goalkeeping world. You know, I, I think I think there's a guy who kicked the ball into the stands who's no longer in the league, et cetera. <laughs> I thought that guy was a clown. With that being said, I just never saw that in, in Stefan, so I wondered why. Why? You know, I, I don't understand it. And then being in Mexico to see it live, where sometimes the the, the, the feed doesn't catch it. You know, they'll, they'll see a back pass, but they don't see where it ends. I was like, you know, damn, man, this is not good. You, you insert Matt Turner into, into the similar moments, and he was executing. Good, bad, right or wrong, he was executing. And we were getting results and clean sheets. I wasn't in the locker room. I don't know how that vibe was. I don't know if they were building around him. I don't know if they felt better with him. I don't know if the, if the manager felt better with him. But at the end of the day, he was performing. Um, why, again, we, we have that you know, comparative underperformance? I don't think anything's missing from the country. I don't think anything is missing maybe from, from pockets of lack of development. <clears throat> I think coaches, some coaches, youth coaches in particular, maybe academy coaches, 
maybe MLS Academy coaches, maybe even some pro coaches spend too much time on the shot stopping element on the sexy stuff and not the feet, you know, not targets, not different types of balls, not the, the variation that you need, not the, the bend into space, that, that type of stuff. Maybe that has gotten away. Maybe there's either none of it or too much then shot stopping. You know, maybe that's the case. But again, in, in Dr. Moshnik, I trust in the sense of what he did. Now, he didn't spend a ton of time with the feet because it didn't need to happen. But he spent a ton of time making the people, <clears throat> making the best feel good, legit, you know. And, and I think that mental aspect is a huge component of it. And those that are stronger are going to survive more. I think Matt's going to survive over there. I hope Stefan comes back and thrives. I hope they're both gauged on the same, on the same methods and may the best guy win. Um, you know, Ethan, it just, it seems to have never gotten on a real <clears throat> consistent track for Horvat, you know? Um, and I don't know that it's been an unbelievable consistent track, but at least it's kind of been an uptick for Turner. It's been kind of this for, for Stefan. And for Horvath, I, I think there's some tremendous skill there. It just it, it it just never seemed to happen here. Even when he stepped in against Mexico, it was fantastic. Didn't really get the call after. You know, I, I don't know what what and why. It's a, it's a vibe. It's a real big trust position, and maybe that's just it falls down to that. Yeah, man. So many things. I <laughs> want to say. Um, I think the the main thing that it comes down. <laughs> comes down to it for me is that I think if you look at the goal that Turner conceded against Manchester United um, end of the year, um, it's a good interception. It's a very good dribble from that interception. It's an elite pass and it's a good finish. And maybe one of those four things happens in MLS. You know, like the if you turn the ball over, you're probably going to get away with it unless it's really bad. There's a lot of things that goalkeepers get away with in MLS that it's just not, you're just not going to get sure. away with it in England. So, and it, it's tough because like when you look at that goal, like you can see a lot, of, like it's it's almost like 10 plus seconds before the goal scored from the turnover. Like it takes time to get there. And so it's, you know, it, it looks bad from the goalkeeper's point of view, but that's just a reality. So like for me, if we don't want to say England's the proving ground, okay, but if we're not preparing the goalkeepers to get to a higher level, then that's where my concern is. Now, if MLS is a, is a league that, and, and which in some degrees it is, like the attacking is typically better than the defending. You know, that's where the money goes. That's where those high-profile sure. are going. Um, it's changing a little bit, but um, not a ton. But, you know, if if it were a league where they were asking a lot of their goalkeepers, then I would feel comfortable with them staying here you know, playing and them being a national team starter. But when we see what we need at the, the world, like the international stage, where the league is, where other leagues are, that's kind of where my concern is. And I I know it's when you, I think from Stefan Turner Horvath, they're three really interesting goalkeepers for me because they all have very different paths. Horvath went to Europe immediately. Turner did his four years at kind of a no name wow. college. Um, yep. and, and Stefan's kind of in between, right? Academy kid left early, but they all have very different paths there, and they they spend different times overseas. College as well. Yep. He called college as well, but then he goes to Germany, right? Like he, he they all have yep. very, very different paths. But 
I think for me, although I do like the variety in some sense, it's a little concerning from U.S. soccer standpoint. We've talked up and down this, but it, it still comes back to where the league's not demanding enough, but also U.S. soccer, it has this really open system of like, well, whoever's interested in developing, you got it. Like, we don't have any oversight. We don't have any sort of blueprint. We don't have any sort of direction. And so, you know. All yeah. due respect to the guys at, at U.S. soccer. The Charlie Inversos and you know those in the youth kind of finding the talent, what have you. But it's kind of bullshit that they don't have somebody that's the director of goalkeeping, somebody that that's at that at the pinnacle that people can look to and trust, and and people would believe in that person, whoever that person may be. Okay, whether that person's bushy, uh, whether that person is uh, wh whoever it may, whoever you know you could pick. All right, but we don't have it's an afterthought there so it's treated like an afterthought to, to to our point turner i thought had a good world cup would that be accurate or no uh, i mean it wasn't a bad world cup was it it wasn't say he was he was average for a world cup goalkeeper i think i mean that's obviously a high standard wouldn't <clears throat> say it was great i'd say he he did the job right he did not he did not cause us to lose right. Right. He did not. He did not throw away points. Right. Okay. He was. He was not the reason. Now we had a, a tackle in the box that caused a pen. That was not him. You know, right. we conceded the penalty. Uh, third, seventh, whatever it is, easiest thing to do in sport is to convert a penalty. Whether whether you know we like that or you know don't want that as a goalkeeper, uh, it is what it is. It's a pretty massive area to put a ball in. All that being said, the U.S. produced him. You know, it wasn't England that you know, propelled him into the World Cup. MLS did, college did, what have you. Is that the answer to our our you know, uh, having great goalkeepers or to have a great goalkeeper, he should come from Fairfield and the Revolution? No. Or college and MLS? No, maybe not. Maybe our best leaves. Maybe it ends up being an Ethan Horvath. Maybe it is Gaga you know, uh, who is now overseas and, and playing. Maybe it's going to be others, you know, maybe it's from this, this January roster. I don't know, but I, what I, what I do know is that I, I don't believe there's this unbelievable poor run of form that, that happens. I think we should commit to somebody. I think they should be our number one and that's who we should go with. And, 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 whatever opportunities we have, we should have one person working with that person. And I, I would hope that person has the balls to say, I want this person to work with me. And maybe U.S. soccer listens. You know, that's not their job to listen to players. I get that. But then bring somebody in that's going to do the job full time and not somebody who's going to be there two months and then another guy three months and another guy is going to be seven months. Another guy will be for the World Cup and another guy will come in after the World Cup. It's like, let's get your shit together. You know, identify early commit to them, prepare them, develop them, help them along the journey. And, and let's try to have maybe some, some continuity from year one to year 13 or whatever that they're in the system. Yeah. I don't know. No, I, I think you're right. I, I sound that, bitter. <laughs> well, that reminds me, I, I mean, it's been years since I wrote this, I want to say maybe four or five years, but I wrote an article for top drawers. You maybe recall the story, but um, it basically was yeah. on the heels of Tab Ramos saying um dropping the, the juicy nugget that jay berhalter um essentially shot down a goalkeeper uh you know, like a director or goalkeeping or in the in the 
federation uh, and kind of, you know, throughout this idea, like, why don't we have one for strikers of which, you know, you could argue that, but like seeing as neither happened, you know, like it's kind of like, okay, really what are we talking about here? And so, you know, I take that quote from obviously a respected player, respected coach, and kind of make it into a longer article where Wedden. Um, Maybe because Jay Berhalter doesn't know shit about goalkeeping. <laughs> well, Maybe because Greg Berhalter doesn't know anything about goalkeeping. I no, Maybe I, it's because anybody on the staff doesn't know anything about goalkeeping. I, and I it's think completely is, yeah. foreign from what a striker does. This, this is this is the problem that we get into, where it's it's a position, it's a sport inside of a sport. Um, right? Is it Richley? He said that. I, I need to remember who said that, but I say it all the time. But it, it's absolutely true. It's a sport within a sport, and if you don't know the real demands of it, you know, like you're not going to be able to appropriately prep it. So you know, we we have this really open system of like you can do whatever you want and you know, we get the results we get. And so that quote comes out and I write the article from, from Wedden and, uh, and from others there to, to include, you know, good quotes from people who actually know what they're talking about. And U.S. soccer reaches out to me and they yep. want me to pull Jay Berhalter's name from the article. They don't care about, Rubbish. you know, they, they don't care about how bad it looks for the Federation. And, you know, I was a little younger, a little bit more Sprite than I guess. And um, I, you know, I'm pushing back. And at some point I say something of like, you know, this all could be avoided if there was some sort of, you know, public understanding of the blueprint that needs to happen with goalkeeping, as opposed to these kind of like quotes, you're not really sure totally what the context is or the conversations or the setting. And the response I got, curse words aside, was basically like, like, shut up. Like, that's not what we're talking about now. Like, I'm asking you to get Jay Berhalter's name out of it. Like that's what, and then like that was kind of a wake up moment of like, oh, like I think outside looking in, people think like, oh, well, you know, like U.S. soccer's trying, but the reality is like they're not trying at all. They're not no. effort into it. Like they're just letting the landscape, you know, that they're not mowing the grass or not tending anything. They're just letting it grow, and whatever we get is what we get. And right. you know, that's why you know we get players like Zach Steffen, who technically is a very good with his feet his decision-making was really poor. And so that's where you see really odd errors where you can, you know, he can clip a ball well, but then he turns over the ball and, you know, in kind of an odd spot. So I, I mean. And, and part, part of that, which I'll stand up for Zach, is the forced play out of the back, yep. which I know is another topic, but it's bullshit as well. You know, let's play out of the back at all costs. And, you know, there are people high in the soccer community that said, I don't think anybody says that. To which I'd say bullshit. There are people who do that. There are people who just demand that you build out of the back. Certainly those are more in the youth than they, than they are anywhere else. But you play what the game gives you. Because ultimately when you get to the highest levels, if you're good enough, you're going to play what the game gives you. Now, I think that there, there seemed to be the sentiment that they had to play out of the back. And Zach was exposed. And, you know, again, forcing to play out of the back. Pop a ball, drop it behind the back line, make, make people make a decision. Let them battle for the ball around the mid-stripe and see who gets possession, and then we can go from there. Don't just kick it to the other goalkeeper. That's not what I mean. But let's be a little bit more tactically organized than, than make the game in our defensive third. I mean, what is that? I don't understand that. What is that's? I, I think the one thing I can, I'll give credit to is that if you really, truly want to have a system where players are playing a certain way, then you have to take take your lumps until you get there. I think the problem that we're at is we don't. I don't know. 
we don't have a serious goalkeeper who can really play out of the back that consistently. Like Celentano is a good example of a young, aspiring, exciting prospect. But the reality is, is like he's not going to yeah. get the ball. You know, like that's not his strength. And so, yes, if you want to have a system and you want to get to a, a certain like destination, that's fine. And you're going to take lumps along the way. I understand that. But we have no goalkeeper who's going to be able to really fill that. Like that's not what Turner's game is. That's not what Horvath's game is. And to your point, to defend them, they haven't been, you know, like they haven't been developed and appropriately handled to be that type of goalkeeper. That's not the type of investment and resources that's gone into them. They've been developed to be kind of like your classic American goalkeeper who sits on the line, makes some big saves when they can, and, you know, doesn't turn the ball over. And now they're being asked to do something that it, it's the same when you see goalkeepers in their thirties or late twenties. And now they're trying to do that spread save that every young goalkeeper can do. And a goalkeeper who's 32 that's trying to learn it. Can't really do it as well. You know, it's like, I just talked to you, I shouldn't say his name, but I just talked to a USL goalkeeper coach and he was telling me that they were looking for a goalkeeper who can control the box and they had a backup who they put a lot of time and effort into making him better on crosses, getting him in the weight room. They they said they could see them getting physically stronger, but at the end of the day, they just couldn't do it. And that's one of those things, like if they can't do it and you're forcing someone to do it, then either like you have to have some sort of long-term, you know, eye on the prize or you're just shooting yourself in the foot, which I think this is kind of what we've done with. We don't put the time and investment on the front end, and now we're paying for it on the back end, and there's no long-term payoff at all. Look, Michael Richardson, the guy's fantastic, coaches at the Soccers, uh, from the Soccers family, the Richardson family, is a youth teammate of mine, ended up being a phenomenal indoor player, just a legit soccer player. <laughs> he was also the best goalkeeper on any indoor team he played on professionally, and that included Victor Nogueira, among others. The guy was unreal, okay? Those people come along once in a lifetime. I was a teammate of his. He was better than me, okay? I mean, and he played on the field. The point being is, you know, what do you, what do you want to do? Do you want to then put Michael Richardson as the goalkeeper? Then put him as the goalkeeper. But if we want to, if we want to have a bunch of goalkeepers that are great with their feet, you're going to have a deficiency perhaps somewhere else. You know, Otani is a rarity. He can pitch the ball unbelievably well, and he hits home runs. Show me another one who can do that. There isn't any, okay? This guy, why, why he's making $700 million over seven, over 10 years? Point being is that you're going to end up with something. You know, it, you're either going to train the goalkeeper too long by having them out there for an hour and a half to work on their feet and then incorporate them into play um, and, and have them then be a, be a shot stopper. Um, you know, it, I, I think... At some level, it's a little unrealistic what we're asking of our goalkeepers. The job, you know, strike me down for saying this, is not that fucking hard. It, it, it's an unbelievably difficult job, but it is moments of burst and moments of brilliance. And that's where you need to execute. We get caught sometimes in this, oh, well, you know, get it at his feet and, and, and dare I say, but you know, maybe dribble somebody, cut somebody, build, maybe break a line. When in reality, 50% of those moments could have been you popping a ball to the midstripe. And, you know, let, let's call this a day. The risk isn't worth the reward. It, it's it's just not. Show me, a, show me a comparison. 
somebody at VO, somebody at Huddle, somebody that's smarter than me, pull some moments and 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 pull together a um a, a ten minute video of a build that results in a goal versus an attempted build that results in a goal against. And I'll bet you it's 80-20 in my favor. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to hold goalkeeping back. I'm trying to be smarter in how we go about this. I think it's bullshit what we ask for them to be unbelievably gifted with their feet. Like, like that's just easy to do. Guess what? It's not easy to be a midfielder. And it's not easy to be a midfielder at the U.S. national team level or the U.S. women's national team level, either either direction. Just like it's not easy to be a goalkeeper, right? I think it's easy to be a goalkeeper because I've studied it forever. And, and there are moments where you're like, you know, you have nothing to do today. Mentally, it might have been exhausting, but you didn't have a whole lot to do today. That's good. But, I, you know, no no midfielder wants, wants to put on the gloves because what happens is, all right, they get the ball at their feet and they're great. But then when they need to deal with the shot from 15 yards, it's bending to the far post, they dive like, like Superman. And they don't get anywhere. And the ball goes in the back of the net, and they're like, oh, I've got enough of this. Well, what do you want? Do you want somebody who can do that and be great with their feet? I understand that's what we're trying to seek. But they're not all out there. Ederson is, is you know, like he's a bit of an Otani, right? He can do it all. Yeah. But there's I, not I'll, a ton I'll, of Edersons. I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. The ment- for me, it's two things. You've got a mentality aspect where you have to have from like being born the willingness to, you know, put your body in the ground and show up after or leave practice with bruises and cuts, and you have to be okay with that. And that's something that yeah. I think is really inherent. Sure, maybe some home life stuff plays into that, but that's like brain chemistry stuff. But then you've got the technical skill, where I think if you go look at Spain's second division and see what those goalkeepers can do. And I'll, I'll, actually, I'll get it more tangible. If you see the Spanish goalkeepers that come into college, they possess the ball in a way that our American goalkeepers, on average, are, are very far behind. Now, not every Spanish goalkeeper can go play for the national team. Like, if not every Spanish collegiate goalkeeper is as good as their feet and could play on the U.S. national team in that level. I'm not saying that. But you see the time and effort that Spain is putting sure. into the youth and how they approach it, not even so much the time, but just how they approach it, their goalkeepers from day one go a completely different direction than our goalkeepers. Now, I think it's fair to say shot-stopping-wise and other aspects, they're not as strong as we are. I think if it just comes down to where heels on the line, who can cover the goal, I think like your American goalkeepers are going to do better at that. However, you're seeing such a level of technical and tactical decision-making from those Spanish goalkeepers that we're, we're so far off on. So I, I'm with you in the sense of like, we have to be realistic of what's being asked and you can't set people up to fail. But I think if you go look at Stefan's background and Turner's background and what they were being kind of invested in and what they were being taught to do. I mean, Turner was at a point where he's almost going to quit the, quit the, the, the sport before he even went bro. You know, like these are guys that got by, by, being like athletic and sitting back yep. and so yep. i mean again it starts from the top if we don't have any clear direction i think we definitely can get our goalkeepers to play out of the back i've much. never heard from u.s soccer i've never heard from u.s soccer 35 right. years of coaching the position and just recently i've had a couple conversations with guys i highly respect that have that have been asking but maybe seven goalkeepers into 
uh, going into the national team, cups of coffee or longer periods, never heard from U.S. soccer. Yeah. So, well, I, I think this is the problem that if, if we want, if Berhalter really wants to play out of the back and this, this, and that, but we don't have investment in our grassroots and our young goalkeepers to play a certain way, even just that like MLS next, you take that, you know, just those goalkeepers, like they aren't playing a certain way that's going to trickle down the line where they're going to be able to do. Ederson, I think, is in a tier of his own. Like, I think he's very, very good with the ball. I think if you go a tier down, I think that is really achievable. And I think that's where you can start building out seriously. Ederson's going to be able to ping a ball on a side volley, 60 yards that sets up an assist, you know, every, you know, once every couple months. Like that, that's something I would not expect our goalkeepers to do. However, when I look at Spain's, you know, like second, third division, that's very achievable. And that's the source of, again, comes from the top. Like we don't have any sort of pathway that leads into that and easier said than done. But like that's, I, we can go on and on, but like for me, it's it comes from the top. Not it's not Maryland or University of Maryland's responsibility to solve this. It's not Fairfield's responsibility to solve this. It's it's coming right. from the top. Sure, sure, absolutely, That's absolutely. Me. And Speaking here we are with people still still not even directing their goalkeepers in their clubs somewhere. So <laughs> no, next topic, yeah. next topic. Yeah, no, we can go on and on. But so speaking of coming from the top, um, about a month or so ago, a lot of buzz with. MLS trying to pull out of the open cup. And, you know, I, I, think there's been, <laughs> I think there's been a lot of narrative spin on the back end of it of like, well, you know, they, they were just testing the waters or it was scheduled. Um, you know, it's as too many games or, you know, they were going to, but you know, right. It's, it's, it's bullshit at the end of the day. So um, we'll go, we'll go with a softball question here, then we'll lead into it. But let's look at the micro here of, okay, just look at goalkeepers on the ground floor. How does the Open Cup help goalkeepers? Well, anybody who gets games, it's great. And if you get games at a decent level, it's great. And when LAFC travels to whoever, anywhere in the country, that's non-MLS, that, you know, plays at Detroit or, you know, Racine, my my team here, it's in League Two. You know, heaven forbid, but we were a game away when, when John Dorn had the team in Chicago. We were a game away from playing DC United. Um, and and so, you know, it's completely realistic and uh and it, it, it can happen. And when you have those teams, you know, travel somewhere and grow the game, it's beautiful. And you know, we we in many ways not in a lot, not in a ton of ways, but in many ways, we just keep shooting our foot in, in the game in our own country. It's like, that's a phenomenal event that people give a shit about. And then MLS thinking that, that they can just, you know, going to step away. I get it. Their schedules, their schedules crammed. Well, you know, leagues cup, whatever you can pick a, a ton of things. And at, at the end of the day, that's not something that universally nationwide people are going to say, okay, there's a, there's a lot of people that really care about soccer that could give a shit about MLS. And you have an opportunity to create a bunch of fans, not alienate a bunch of fans. You know, last I checked, there's about three or 4,000 people that show up for fire games. I wish it were more, okay? I do. I wish it were more, but they've made it hard on themselves. But you don't, you don't become, uh, you don't all of a sudden start growing that number from 3,000 to 60,000 in Soldier Field by saying no to the Open Cup. You know, if the fire were to go and, and, and play um, 
Chicago City or whoever it may be out of uh, USL League One, League Two, whatever, you know, outstanding, outstanding. You might have a similar crowd, you know, at, at the at the opposing ground. Um, you know, I, I I thought it was I thought it was a really really bad look. It was an arrogant look. It was a, an uneducated look. Um, I thought it had. I thought it it it, it sent pretty solid uh, reverberation around the the soccer community. Uh, it, uh, 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 what does it do for goalkeepers? I got off again. It gives <laughs> them games. It gives them games, and they can play, and that's great. And when you can play games, that's great. When you're at a youth level or an advanced youth level, you're not a youth level if you're in USL Championship or League One or two or whatever you're you're doing pretty darn well um it gives you games and those games are important um you know uh, that's that's the that's the key to it all is the ability to to play games and then play games against people that are better than you well and i i would even add a layer to it of you know it's knockout games like this is a goalkeeper that's likely coming in yeah is out of form you know they probably haven't been playing a ton it's the backup goalkeeper for an MLS team, or it's a lower league goalkeeper who's playing against up, you know, like it, it's, it's that type of environment. That's really tough to replicate elsewhere. You've got league games that like nine of 16 teams make playoffs in MLS, you know, like <laughs> that that's not going to do you a whole lot as far as like adding that competitive environment. And then, you know, you're going to get that excitement at the end of the season with the playoffs, but like, the bulk of the season, right? You can drop games, whatever, not a big deal. Sure. So, you know, a backup coming in for the open cup or a lower league goalkeeper playing against MLS team to prove himself. I mean, goalkeepers get drops from this where they play well, a team sees it and they say, Hey, I want that goalkeeper. Like that happens not all the time, but happens somewhat frequently. And so there's a sure. level like from the goalkeeping side, but I think kind of as you, <laughs> as you kind of got into it, like, this is such a multifaceted thing. I think when people try to boil it down of like, oh, you know, no one really cares about the open cup, you know, it's poor attendance and this, this and that. I think it's really eye-opening when people, Europeans specifically, when they get confused, when they see what the U S is doing with the open cup and they're, they're kind of like, why isn't this a bigger deal? Cause they know it's a big deal for them. They know right. all the causes that come from it, but their lens is, growing the game over there like that's that's the lens in europe of how how can we make this flourish from top to bottom whereas here the mindset is what's good for mls and right which is rubbish right and, so, and u.s soccer did the right thing so as critical as i was 10 minutes ago about u.s soccer <laughs> they stepped in and did the right thing in this moment credit to them yeah well i i think it's i think in this one spot i'm happy with it of saying hey like no you, you got to do this and let's be real like the game congestion is minimal most teams are playing one or two open cup games like we're we're not talking about a ton here so it's really just a handful however i think there are still further steps that needs to be happen i think people that are on the open cup council oddly went very silent i think you've got garber who's oh yeah on board for mls and u.s soccer like he like there's a lot of problems here that allows mls to get away with this and it was interesting that they kind of tested the water so publicly and really i mean they got a slap on the wrist right like what is like they know that there's no real harm to be done by being this cavalier and this boastful but but there is it, it chips away man oh it no chips i mean away. I, I know i know you get you away with this 
I know you agree with it, but I, I guess for anybody that's choosing to listen to this freaking dude talk, me, um, you know, the, uh, people love listening to Bill. At the end of the day, the, things like that, little decisions like that, just chip away at the at, at what MLS is, and it just starts to make people just get more and more and more pissed off at at the position. You know, if it wasn't for um, and, and look, I, I have some guys in the league that I absolutely adore, uh, Chris Mueller and Mowdy, and I could go on, Goopman. A lot of those are, all those right now are the fire, um, among others, you know, Bersano around the league, Ketterer around the league. And, and I feel bad sometimes the, the stance MLS takes, but it just chips away at the, at the aura. And they're fortunate that there's a bunch of money around the league and you bring in a Messi and you bring in, Schweinsteiger and, and Oblanco in the past, among others, Zlatan. But, you know, that, that people are also starting to really smell through those things and going, you know, what the fuck, man? It's, it's decisions like this just chip away and, and start making you, making you think otherwise and thinking about spending your entertainment dollar somewhere else. Well, I, I think maybe one way to contextualize this where people understand, because I, I think there's still a large portion of people who don't understand like the, really the problems of like, what, what is a big deal of MLS uh, what, leaving the open cup or, or doing this sort of stuff. I think one way I would juxtapose, juxtaposition it is you look at Leicester city playing in the second division right now. Now you take their 2016 league winning season. Yeah. Like, and you compare that to, I can't, I don't know who won the MLS Cup in 2016, whoever it was. I think right now, Leicester City and the top of MLS are probably in a similar tier. You know, like Leicester City's second division, you get good side. They're, they're, you know, you could argue about this, this, or that, but they're in a similar tier. So, like, right now, you've got a similar tier of talent, but you talk to Leicester City's fans. I mean, that 2016 season was like magic and that excitement. Yeah will last for people like that's going to be remembered for a hundred years. Like that's a big deal. The 2016 yeah. kept like, who care? You know, it's over, you know, like, and I'm, I don't want to take that away from the players that, you know, put the, the sweat and blood into that, but like, it's not even comparable, but I think MLS has a hard time understanding that at the end of the day, they're actually shooting themselves in the foot a bit because they have, they struggle to get crowds at Chicago and other places. FC Dallas has struggled to get crowds. Um, and they don't understand that, hey, because we keep doing the scorched earth policy where we cut off everything, and right now they're talking about expanding MLS Next Pro into non-MLS markets, which would include like Indianapolis or, you know, like it's, they're going into other teams' territories for their own sake, but they're not only burning those teams out, but also you're a lot less excited about supporting Chicago Fire versus Leicester City, which like Leicester City winning that league is something that they did off merit and like built and and made a massive run that was super exciting and it was really impressive and across the world everyone's watching. Whereas in here it's you have a seat at the table because you paid your way in. Yeah. You know, like it's I think it's tough for people to really get on board for that. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think you know those those people, Don's and and others think that it's an uneducated soccer public out here when those people, the educated soccer public are going to influence others to become fans. And, you know, it could grow by leaps and bounds. I'm not talking about just pro rel, but that's certainly part of it. 
but Arthur Blank isn't going to be so happy when the formerly known as Mercedes-Benz Stadium becomes empty because they're playing in the USL in 2025. You know, what the hell did I put you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in MLS for to be playing in front of, um, you know, who knows how many to play Milwaukee? You know, I, but the reality is, is it would make it that much more special when you do get up. Now, they've had unbelievable crowds. I, I think that's fallen off a little bit from where they were in the past. But um, there's just a lot of things to get right. And to make a move like pulling out of the Open Cup is not one of those things that's the way to go wrong. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I, I think we want to protect these <laughs> these handful of billionaires of like, oh, well, you know, they're going to be pissed that they lost their investment. It's like, yes, but also like we see, I mean, Wrexham is a great example. Like we have American investors going overseas because they can't really invest here. Like, yeah, you have owners of USL teams, but this idea, and I, I hate that Lexi Lawless pushes this, that like, oh, USL just need to go build their own thing and they can compete. And it's like, y'all, MLS got to the point where it did because you had Lamar Hunt, which the Open Cup is named after, Lamar Hunt and others bankrolled the league and were saying, hey, we'll, we'll lose money because, you know, we think... And shoots. Yeah, yeah, like you, you've got people who are just happy to, you know, they love the sport and they're happy to support it, and that's awesome. But that's why the Women's League hasn't got to where it is or got to where MLS is yet because, like, they didn't really have that. They have to... That's why you see 20 investors for one team. That's why USL is not going to get to that because they, like, there's a ceiling there that they investors are not going to come in and, and lose millions a year. Like they're just not going to do that. Um, so like we're, we're protecting these small few when really you could open the floodgate and have lots of people get a return on their investment. Um, Imagine a second team in Chicago, Bill, a second team, a USL championship team, let's say, all right, let, let's have it go there. Uh, and you build a small little stadium in Lincoln yards, just kind of um, just outside probably city limits, but just outside and the outs outer edges of the city. Um, and you have that team. And in 2026, that stadium gets built. They start playing. You know, what do you, t if we had the same environment today as in 2026, how many people are going to go to that game versus are going to go to the fire game? Sadly, they're going to, they're going to double their attendance at the championship game at the USL championship, whatever that team ends up being. Okay the Chicago Wilts and, you know, they end up being, they put 20,000, 2,100 in every game and the fire will announce 17 and actually have nine. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, it just, I, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know what, what they're planning, what Mansueto's planning to do in Chicago and just have it be the same. And again, there are friends of mine at, at, in that franchise, Paul Cadwell and Frank Klopas and, you know, uh, among others and players in particular but something's something's got to change that's just chicago in particular but they suffer the wrath when you're when you're pulled out of an open cup and you can't you know play against whoever where you know the people from indiana want to see that happen and they want to face the fire you know yeah. and and it just it just if you okay. can't if there are people making those decisions and they can't see that are they really soccer people? Well, and I, I think this is where the rub is. You've got people who parrot this idea and they know that it's nice to hear. And so they say it, that they want to grow the game, blah, blah, blah. 
But then when it comes to it's like, are we really growing the game? Because you, I think you're you're absolutely right. MLS is banking on the fact <clears throat> that it's an uneducated environment, and in part of that, they try to act like, oh, hey, we're the NFL, we're the NBA, we're the MLB. They're doing it also. You know, it's like the reality is one. It's I don't know if that's really a one for one comparison, but even still, the NFL's maxed out basically. I mean, you could add more teams, but like that's not really happening. You know, whereas in soccer, you really could make something bigger and invite people yeah. in, get people in. Like it's it's a two, it's a totally different mindset. So I, for me, like the Open Cup thing is, I think it's tough for American sport fans to really understand because they think, well, what's the big deal? Like the NBA, like they don't play lower league, te- they don't go play G League teams in a knockout tournament. It's like, yeah, you're right, but also like the NBA has no real interest in expanding. I mean, they'll jump a franchise here and there if they need to, but like. That's not the goal, whereas that's always been the stated goal of the sport of soccer, where it's, hey, you're, you're, I mean, missionaries are taking the game to other countries and teaching them, like from day one, you've got the sport is being sent out, and now that's the framework for every serious country of like, hey, like, you've got to grow the game. So we can go on and on about it, obviously, but um, one thing I did want to jump into before we kind of wind down here is drafts. Uh, which I am not a big fan of. We, we've got the NWSL draft. We've got the MLS draft coming up. But I think specifically the NWSL is kind of interesting to me because you've got the best league in the world here. And you see a lot of times that players get drafted into the NWSL, but then they get stuck because understandably they're 23, right? And they're not going to be better than a well, one of the best goalkeepers in the world, which is what the NWSL has. And so what does a 23-year-old do to kind of go through that so i i guess my question for you is are there is what are what is a scenario that would actually benefit a goalkeeper to sit for a year because i think for most people they understand goalkeepers got to play blah 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 we all understand that but i do think there are some scenarios where it is rare however there's some situations where a goalkeeper needs to be kind of sat down xyz needs to happen to like get them to where they need to go so what what is your thoughts on benching a goalkeeper for a year? Like, what are the positive scenarios from that? If, if well, that... it's just like a college goalkeeper incoming. It's just like Marissa Bova going to North Carolina. I mean, um, we've we've had goalkeepers come through camp shutout that go uh, to very very good programs, very average programs, the whole gamut. And then we have players that that <laughs> it's more rare that go on to the professional game. Um, I think it's it's almost mandatory that you you sit for a year. The pace is so much different. You know, you you've come from an area a program, a platform where you know two out of every ten shots are really tucked into a corner, and all of a sudden you step on a training ground and literally day one, eight of ten uh, slash maybe nine are 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 tucked or you have to deal with you know, um, and then having to do that every day, uh, it that that pace mentally uh is is faster it's harder it's harder to process um you you've got you know in college you've got a 22 year old yelling at you you get drafted into the pro game or you get signed or you get pulled into or you get taken into or you get bought whatever you're 23 let's say and you've got a 35 year old bitching at you you know that's a that's a different world when he he or she have kids at home um and you're sitting there and you know you're going to go back to your apartment and play xbox 
it's just a different different world um but the reality is is that you you acclimate in that year you, you the training if a team trains enough sometimes there's pro teams that don't train a ton they you know and that goes back to the what mls is complaining about but um you know that they play they recover and then they prepare and then they play and they recover and that's six days of the week right there and then a day off so you know but you hope that that training when they're when they're training that they're getting that acclimation and then when the test comes they pass it and you know who knows when that comes for marissa and the nwsl or it hasn't come you know on a regular for bersano and ketterer and you know others um because you know sometimes the leash is, is longer for the for the number one but sitting for a year, I think, is, you know, at a minimum, is quite normal and quite to be expected and, and quite fair, to be quite honest, unless you're going to come in and really be, really change the game. And Celentano did in, in, in Cincinnati. Alec Kahn is a damn good goalkeeper. And Roman came in and, and changed how they, how they play. Um, credit to Paul Rogers and his staff as well. Uh, Thackeray does a great job with the goalkeepers in North Carolina and you know, I get full faith in what he's going to do for Marissa in development meaning um, who knows where it's going to ultimately pan out but that guy's committed and you know, he'll, he'll do great you know there's no there's no calling Nathan and going oh, what's going on here man you know Marissa's a damn good goalkeeper and she's learning her trade and I think she'll be fantastic eventually whenever that time comes, you know, who knows what it is. I I think my problem with it is I agree with you on paper that like, if you're going to go jump into such a, if there's going to be such a high jump, you're going to need time to catch up and you're going to need time to to get in there and you you also need to not be put in a position to fail. So it's not fair for a young goalkeeper to get thrown in somewhere and they're not good enough, and then they get written off, you know, like that, that's not fair. However, I think if there's not like an IDP of process of long-term planning, that's where my concern is, where players come in, and you see it both MLS, you see it both in WSL, where they come in, and there's no plan for them, and they sit for a year, and they really haven't developed a ton, but now they're not really developing and they've got a stigma now of, well, you're the backup goalkeeper, whereas you have to have some sort of long-term planning there. So that that's where my big concern is. I do think there are scenarios where, obviously, speed of play is a huge one. That's probably the most common one. I think there's other things where if you, and I think we've seen it with a few goalkeepers, where if they were so uh, mentally battered, <laughs> is probably one way to put it, that they need time to kind of reset, and they don't need to go back into the fire immediately. Um, I think we've seen that a couple of times where a bit of a reset is goes well. I think the other extreme, this is back on the men's side, but I think Zach, Zach McMath, excuse me, Zach McMath is, is a good example where constantly he was thrown into the fire over and over. Now we can argue about his his what his ceiling was and where it is now. However, I think when you set someone up to fail over and over, like you don't you don't do them service, you don't do yourself service. Yeah, right? it takes its toll. Yeah, so I, I think there are u- unique scenarios where, like, you could really do that. I think my concern, which we see it a lot, where you see goalkeepers that just sit forever. Um, Michelle Dalton was is probably a good one where it took her, and she went overseas for sure, and that kind of helped her out. But 
you know, it, it's tough to get in when you're not getting not only a shot, but also there's not long-term planning and you kind of get these throwaway games here and there. And can you really prove yourself off that? I think the league has done better on that with um, yeah. some of the cups that they're doing. I think it's <clears throat> good ideas, but I think that's my concern. You're jumping from college to the best league in the world. And I think Louisville with Sergio has done well to send goalkeepers to Australia. I think yep. that's a wonderful connection that we got going there. I wish Maris was in Mexico right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's huge where you can go send them out and they can go grind. And But even that can be tricky because if you just send them out and there's no oversight, then you kind of you're back to square one because maybe they're developing. This happens a lot in Europe and the women's side where there's not a goalkeeper coach at the club, which is crazy to think about. But, right. you know, so I, I think for me with the draft, I one, I, I would rather teams just go sign players that they want to have and just let that be open competition. And if you're attractive, if you're an attractive place people want to go to, people will sign with you. And if you don't run your run your shit right, then they're not, they're not going to want to sign with you as opposed to right now where we reward the last place team. Which doesn't make sense. Exactly. To me. So, so I, I, know, I, I, I think that uh, that you're going if you're going from good to great. If you're going from a good club to a great college. If you're going from a good good college to a great pro club, you know, I think you should generally be expected to become better at your craft before you end up just being the guy or girl thrown thrown in to be the one that's going to deliver in your craft. I don't know. It's just, um, I think ultimately that's where I think it should go, but. Well, I, I think, you know, I, I get frustrated with goalkeeping on the women's side because whatever is typically happening on the men's side, when it comes to resources and investment on really most things, the women's side gets a fraction of that. And so you see, on the men's side, the goalkeeping's already the investment is is dog shit. It's low. It's not good enough. On the women's right. side, but you know, it's we're even a, a five step behind, despite having the best league in the world. You know, so you, I think you've got a couple places that a bunch of college coaches wouldn't tell you that though. <laughs> yeah, well, I, it depends which one you're talking to. Exactly, I, exactly. <laughs> that that is true as well. So, but there's a bunch of colleges that would be like, things are going pretty well here. Yeah, yeah. I but I and it's also two way street because I I've talking to I've talked to NWSL goalkeeper coaches who are frustrated at the college goalkeeper coaches because they don't really they they when we talk about IDPs they don't have a clue as far as like what the long term arc is for really preparing someone for the pro game. Now I know not every college program on the women's side has that ambition, and I even know that the top top programs a lot of those players aren't going pro. I get that. However, you know you're trying to take this it, you may be trying to do everything right i think there's a couple places that really stand out i think louisville is probably a big one i think north carolina is a big one i think kansas city is a big one for me where they're trying to do it right with their goalkeepers top to bottom but yeah. being unfinished products at such an extreme that you know that they're struggling with pretty basic stuff whether it's crossing whether it's playing playing a ball from the back somewhere you know like it's just really basic stuff um and you're seeing really unfinished people. So I, in some, some sense, it's exciting to see players get named for, oh, this person's got drafted and they're going here. And I'm glad that they're getting that opportunity. I really don't like the vessel of that takes a player to that because it's very constricted. It's tough to move out of a situation where you're 
kind of they have your rights and they're controlling you. However, I think I get excited when I see a goalkeeper goes to a certain place because I know, hey, they're going to get taken care of, like they're going to get treated correctly in a way that preps them going forward. So, yeah, there's stability in that club or that program. What we don't have at U.S. Soccer in that role, you know, Nathan Thackeray, Sergio, there are people that jump to the top of the Lloyd Yaxley to jump to people's mind. Paul Rogers, you know, among among others, um, I can't, can't remember the gentleman in New York. Uh, there, Aiden Brown. You know, Aiden Brown did pretty well with Gaga in his in his aid in developing Gaga and things like that. I just when you go when they go to Oh, sorry. It's a, say the last, but I lost you there for about five seconds. When they go to places like that, you just trust that their development is going to happen. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, you know? I think for me, one of the biggest gauges for how good, of, and, I, and I hate to just boil something so complex down to one thought, but one of the biggest ways to judge a goalkeeper coach is how they treat their second and third string goalkeeper. I think that yeah. it's easy to have a goalkeeper who's starting, who's doing well, but when you talk to or you see the future progression or the following progression of a goalkeeper from that environment, that's that's really telling for me. So when you, you know. see pictures of North Carolina, I don't mean to interrupt you. Oh, yeah. But when you see pictures that of Nathan generally, it's with his goalkeeping crew. It's yeah. not with his number one. And so there are things you you look at. You know, Bushy loves to go to games early to watch watch guys warm up. I think that's great. When you go there, and if you see the go- the coach walk out with the number one, and they're you know a minute early, and the others are walking out behind, or whatever the case may be, or they just spend time only with the number one, I think it's I think it's rubbish. I try to stay through the entire warm up at, at UIC until all the goalkeepers are done with their work. The last minute or two, may I might venture over to the bench. We 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 focus our warm up on the number one. Everybody's involved in the warm-up. I don't need to be the one striking the balls. They can do that. Everyone's engaged in the warm-up. The serves are coming from them. You know, all that sort of stuff. Little things are incorporating everybody. So mentally, you feel part of it. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, I mean, we talk about all these drafts. There's a million between both MLS and WSL. But... Nate Crockford, D.C. and United. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but you, we stick with North Carolina, Caitlin Rowland, who just got picked up in the expansion draft to Bay uh, FC. I think that's one that Nathan can probably, and, and I haven't asked him this, so I'm putting words in his mouth, but I'm, I'm going to guess that one, it, it probably stings a little bit to lose a goalkeeper like that in a draft sure. expansion team. I understand that. However, I think he's probably excited to see what she can do because I think, one, he knows her level, but also, two, he... Again, I'm putting words in his mouth. I'm gonna. I feel confident that he was prepping her to then take a starting spot. I don't think Bay's bringing her in to just kind of sit on the bench. I think she's gonna push for the number one. So I think that's something as a goalkeeper coach you can be really proud of. And we talk about growing the game. I think this is it on a very very small level, but I think this goes to show like how the sport really operates. When we talk about growing the game, it's not just about this, this or that. It goes down to the smallest thing, which includes you get really excited when your goalkeeper goes and plays at a, a, a narrow place and does well. Like that's, you know, like when you see, when you develop someone to go do something even bigger, like 
that's awesome. That's a, that's an that's an exciting feeling that I think people outside looking in don't quite understand, which is understandable. But I think we talk about growing the game of U.S. Open Cup or developing goalkeepers stuff like that's one of the many components for me. Um, and I think, you know, I, ideally the league gets better of getting more teams. I'd love to see a reserve league there. Um, I but you also have kind of a same power struggle with. USL is doing their super league. So you're going to have two women's leagues coming up here pretty soon. And you're going to have this power struggle again. Like it's frustrating to get excited of seeing these things, but then you see people fighting at the, the table as opposed to bringing everyone in, which again, we go on and on about it. It's, uh, a, it's a, 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 a micro thing. It's a youth coach. Sean Palacios does a great job. He's got a very good youth program at FC United. And what he does, which was, you know, you'll learn it from everywhere, every time, if you have an open mind, if you're, if you want to learn, um, he has different things, a state cup. And then he also has, you know, this other event that, that kids may be competing in They're they're good teams. And he has a goalkeeper that that's their event. And then the state cup is this goalkeeper's event. And, you know, to me, that's, that's great. You know, you're playing you know, there's an end result for this. It's going to be a championship at some level. You know, when it, when it is then a state cup game, which then leads this team is good enough, leads to regionals and leads to nationals. When we're playing in that pathway, these are my games. And when we're playing, you know, whether it be league or whatever else it is, those are my games. And um, I think that's a, a, a great way to run it. And he's done a phenomenal job with it. So no, that 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 we've we've already do that in in the in MLS when you get into Open Cup, Alec Khan may get those games at Cincinnati. Richie might get those games in Chicago, um, you know. And I hope I hope Richie's there. I hope uh, Brady is still there. And you know, I I don't know who the the third was. I don't recall who that who that was. Um, I wish I did. I think I do, but I don't. I don't recall right now. But, you know, those guys are going to have their opportunity for the games. Yeah. Well, and I, at the end of the day, I mean, the the long-term planning, and I, I say long-term planning, it's not just like 20 years in a few. I mean, just having a focus down the line. We we ask that of our players. We ask them to develop. We, we want that. But as a sure. curve, if we, even if we don't pick the best path, if we have a long-term plan of some sort, then we can, you know, we can move, we can adjust, we can, we can have accountability. But if we don't have that at all, then I think we see a lot with, with those backup goalkeepers that they just, who knows what's going to happen. And they kind of get into situations and, you know, and there's no pathway forward. And now it's been four years and they haven't played a, a minute. And, um, you know, we've got a couple of those in the league with like, um, you know, Houston has Devin Kerr and Elliot uh, Diederich and they don't play and, you know, and I, I'm not there. I don't want to, I can't speak on something I haven't seen. Yeah, so we don't know what's happening. So, but, you know, like for me, it's like, man, what are we doing if we just, and it, it just happens too often. So, um, but let's do this. Let's let's wind down on a camp shutout update. Um, All right. I know you've got a little bit of news over there. So um, uh, let's fill, fill us in. Well, I, as you saw, I can't share the news I wanted to share. I. Right. You know, I've been I've, I've been told by powers that be that I hold in high regard that I shouldn't. So I can't share that news, although I kind of did last night or two nights ago on a Instagram live where I could barely speak as well. Um, look, it, 
eternally blessed and thankful that I get to work with guys like yourself and so, so, so many others. The program might have been founded by me. It might be guided a little bit by me, but the day-to-day -day nuts and bolts of what happens, credit goes to the staff that we have, the goalkeepers that we have, and the place that we've chosen to be. And that's in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. We have over 300 goalkeepers registered Today's January 5th. We opened up on January 2nd. So it's approximately 100 a day. Um, if you include part of the second, maybe 75 a day, whatever that ends up being. <clears throat> so we'll take 450 goalkeepers in residence. We have literally just under 600 goalkeepers on a waiting list. So by the middle of January, we'll be full. It's at that point that we start planning like we did last year for the event. And it makes things a heck of a lot easier to plan for and the staff you need and what you should bring up and everything else. It makes it a heck of a lot easier when you know how many people you're going to need on staff. That's 50 more than last year. And then in 25, we do have big news. And I, I'd get, I'd get uh, cornered and punched in the face if I, if I said that news today. So I, I can't do that, um, but we do have uh, exciting news come 25 that will make Camp Shutout look a lot different than it does today. Okay, how about, let's do this. How about you, you tease the news for 2025 by saying one word. Give us one word that teases the news for 2025. Just, just one word. Give us one. I, I should, I have. I have two choices. I comply <laughs> or I look at you and I take this moment and go you and have a sound bite. Um, then I won't do that one. So okay. the one word, uh, there's about five that come to, <laughs> come to my mind. Oh, <clears throat> voice. I'll use growth. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, and la last question, I guess I am curious from like a numbers perspective, because I obviously have been going for many years now. I say many, I, I, I still feel like a junior in some sense compared to some of the years of people <laughs> who have been there. Um, but at what point is it worth not even signing up on the waiting list? Because as you said, you've got so many in. I mean, someone hears this by mid-January, someone hears this by May, April. At what point is it like, hey, seriously, like don't, you're going to have to catch 25. Well, I think if you're interested in goalkeeper consumption of whatever, <clears throat> I think it's worth doing because you're going to find out that there are places you should follow. There are people you should follow, whether that's my Instagram page, my Facebook page for your parents, maybe um, Twitter account, whatever, you know, so I think there's value. I will say last year, we had, I don't know, maybe 400 people on the, on the um, waiting list. I kid you not. And there's a, there's a reason why we got into the three hundreds of asking people because <clears throat> we didn't need 250 goalkeepers. But what happens is this, you put yourself on the waiting list in, in July or August of last year. Well, in that, since that, August, September, October, November, December, 
has happened. Life has happened and you have made other plans. And so when we go reach those first 10 on the waiting list and all 10 of them can't come, that's not a surprise because they've made other plans. So now all of a sudden you're at 11 to, 11 to 20 and one or two of them maybe. If we have room for 50, you know, that math takes you into 200, 300, you know, somewhere around there to, to get you filled, filled, filled with, say, 40, 50 goalkeepers. So, you know, that's a, that's a, a, a decent amount, you know, um, I, you know, that will, will number 600 that probably happens today. Will they have a chance? You no, know, the likelihood is no, but hopefully they're engaged going forward. They're paying attention more. The, the challenge for us in growing is how are we going to do that? If enough people continually um, return, our retention is high. Now that's a challenge. So that's something that we're constantly keeping an eye on. Yeah. Okay. Fair, fair, fair. But, you know, blessed, blessed and thankful, man. I, you know, Dr. Joe put me on this path um, or I put myself on the path, but via Dr. Joe and, you know, to have, this much energy around one week, I think is pretty special for everybody there. And I don't take it for granted. And we're eternally thankful that people want to spend a week with us. So I'm, I'm, I'm humbled and thankful. Well, fast forward, let's say you time traveled a hundred years in the future and you, you walked up to camp shutout. What would be one thing that you hope hundred years in the future camp shutout still retains? the the attention to coaching the the passion for coaching that it didn't turn into an idea event um not that that's wrong you know you could have that as well but it, it, there is a severe lack of goalkeeper instruction worldwide and certainly nationwide um certainly good instruction obviously there's great coaches all over the country but there is a severe lack of it and um that I hope that when someone comes to camp, their desire is to improve and that our job is to help them improve. You know, I, I laugh at the people that <clears throat> criticize, you know, you're with somebody for a week and like you improved them. Well, if they credit when they go along their career and they choose by their own doing to credit the time they had with us, sorry, shut the hell up, man. <laughs> What did you, what did you do for them? Yeah. You know, talking to a person who, who probably spent no time with them. You know, I also, you know, we could price camp shutout ridiculously through the roof if we wanted. And I choose not to do that. It, it's already expensive. I get it. It's expensive to go, but it could be a lot higher. You know, uh, the numbers, the numbers show it. Or we could just get, have it be a money grab and go, oh, we're going to have two weeks. And that kills the vibe in my eyes. You know, one goalkeeper chooses here, the other goalkeeper chooses here. You add them both one week before and they fed off each other and got each other better. Now they're in separate week, weeks and it's difficult. Yeah. Um, we could do that and, and have 300 go each week and have that just be eh, easy. Okay, done. I, I just don't, I don't, I look, not everything I do is right. And everything is open to criticism, but we don't screw people over that way. 
and we don't kill the vibe of what's working with people that want to compete against other quality like-minded people yeah yeah so you're telling me you don't want to turn camp into an event where you've got a bunch of coaches with clipboards with arms crossed walking around with sunglasses on and you know circling and marking names off and and sitting in low sitting in low chairs (laughs) feet crossed never smiling yeah sunglasses on hat of their school yeah long sleeve coat when it's 90 degrees um and look i love those people and they they pull from us as well but it's like shooting elephants in a zoo if you show up at camp shutout to recruit uh there are goalkeepers there that'll be showing what they can do um and all you need to do is show up and take a look at them and smart ones have done that 